Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. <laughs> Welcome to A Word with Tom Merritt. Me, I'm Tom Merritt, and this is the show where I get the pleasure and privilege of sitting down with some of the smartest, most interesting people in the world to talk about how we think about things, because none of us can know everything. It's good to compare notes on how we're thinking about all this different stuff. These are the kinds of conversations I've been having all my life. Uh, I grew up having them with my grandpa Carl in his front room, my grandma Roxy in her front room, and I got lots of different ways of looking at the world and great conversations, all leading me to this moment right now. Welcome into the front room, Matt Donnelly. Thank you so much. After that intro, I feel like I'm not qualified to be here. Everybody says that, and I don't know why. They don't even know my grandparents. Good point. (laughs) How's it going, man? It's it's, uh, good to have you here. I'm I'm great. I'm so I'm so happy to be here. I'm flattered to you asked and uh, big fan. So thanks for before having me. Before we on. get to the word, oh well, thank you. Uh, before we get to the word, tell folks a little bit about yourself, Ice Cream Social, what you do, etc. So I host a podcast called Matt and Madeline's Ice Cream Social. Uh, it's me and uh, another Vegas uh, comedian, as well as a, a, an, an audio guy who's also very funny, um, and we just kind of. Uh, Shoot the breeze about the living in Las Vegas and the the weirdness of our entertainment and uh, strange town that we live in. It's uh, it's good good times. Uh, if folks want to enjoy themselves, uh, check out Ice Cream Social. What led you to do that in the first place? So I started off as a podcast co-host for Penn Sunday School, and that happened because I started off as an intern for Penn and Teller, and then became a comedy writer for Penn and Teller, and then. Um, uh, then after that, he started as co-host, and I became a co-host of his podcast. And at the time, he was only doing one a week. And from there, when I was doing the podcast with Penn, uh, he was only doing it once a week. And I was like, I think I was a, I was a podcast listener before I was a mm-hmm. podcast co-host. And I was like, I bet people need more than that. And I had a comedy partner where we were doing a imp- two-person improv show called The Bucket Show. And um, we decided to just start podcasting. And now we're coming up on our 10th anniversary, and we've done over a thousand episodes, and it's been, uh, it's been a blast. Well, the word that I picked, and, and unlike most of my guests, uh, Matt said, just, just tell me the word, and we'll run with it. Uh, so I'm revealing it to all of you at the same time. Uh, the word I, I picked, and this is going to seem so on the nose, improvisation. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I started doing improv, uh, when I was, uh, 15 years old. Um, I both went to a performing arts high school where there was improv exercises in that class. But more importantly, um, a guy named Mike O'Keefe started this thing called Improv Jam every Friday and Saturday night on the weekends. And so it would to get permission from your parents to stay out to like one or two o'clock in the morning, knowing that you were going to an improv show instead of a party, uh, uh, I, I fell in love with the idea of doing improv and uh, and started performing every Friday and Saturday night, uh, my junior and senior year of high school, and and that's so, how I started improv. 
How do you define improv? Because I imagine most of the people in our audience know like, oh, it's it's the comedy thing where you, you don't have stuff planned. Uh, how do you define it? No, I, yeah, I think it's more nuanced than that. I think it's it's trying to enter a fluid state of co-creation with a group of people, right? And so mm-hmm. uh, you can have skills just like, you know, I think the jazz musician thing is more apropos, right? You have skills, you've played scales, you know songs, and so you're bringing your actual experience to the co-creation. So it's not that it's so pure that you're making up every little bit, but, you know, if I'm, you know, sitting in with someone playing bass and someone plays a little riff from Girl from Ipanema and we can do a different minor key version of that together and we discovered that together, we both know Girl from Ipanema, but we discovered that moment together and the audience is uh, as happy that we did, right? Yeah, yeah. So I I feel like that's a key part of it is the audience kind of getting to be discovering things along with you. Yeah, it's a shared moment, right? I think the audience knows when you're actually discovering something in the moment and playing with it versus when you're uh, relying on stuff that's not necessarily like pre-planned. You know, it's tough. Like a lot of people are familiar with whose lines it anyway. Right. Yeah, sure. And so those games, I started off playing those games. Right. And those games, there just becomes a good way to play them and a, and, and a bad way to play them. And so even though you're making up the content, sometimes the game can unfold the same way every time. And so that's where I, leaned in in the uh late 90s early 2000s into the thing called long form improvisation and so um where you just honestly take like a one word suggestion i.e. like this podcast and you mm-hmm. make up a whole piece about it and so um you are creating characters you're who what and where and you're doing a montage of scenes um and then even there there can be a performance structure uh like how many scenes you're going to do that kind of thing um, but you still are much more fluid and much more able to to discover so many more things. And the audience seems to appreciate that. So they seem to love watching the total discovery happen in front of their eyes. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's things like comedy sports and improv games and, and all these things around it. It makes me wonder if there is a similar attraction for the audience to watching improv as there is to game shows, right? You're, because you're playing oh, sure. along with your head. In your head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes you get people who are so dedicated to wanting to be improv comics, right? That they take every class and they take notes. And and I always remind them, you know, your job is to risk your ass. You know, Mm -hmm. like that's the reason why people are coming into the building. So you don't want to have it figured out within an inch of what you're doing. You know, you you want want to uh, unleash something visceral uh, on that stage. You you want the audience to know you're taking a, a leap of faith. Yeah. And and what do you think makes it work when it works? Because it doesn't always work. That's kind of the nature of the game. But but what is the ideal improv situation for you? Oh, you know, I think that there's something about there's something about the service of comedy that I think is very vital, whether we're talking about improv or stand up or sketch or podcasts or whatever. I think that we are celebrating our imperfection. I believe we're telling ourselves it's okay to not be perfect. You know, uh, when I taught improv a lot, I used to say that drama says there's a hero in all of us, and comedy says no, there's not, but it's okay, right? Yeah, so yeah. I, I think I think no matter what, you're creating relatable characters. Um, 
who uh, are basically kind of um, suffering. <laughs> so whether you're doing a sitcom <laughs> or a movie, they're, they're suffering their company, right? Like yeah, something yeah. awkward, inappropriate, or unfortunate is happening to them, and they are misdealing with it instead of properly dealing with it, and that creates comedy. Yeah, and there, and as as somebody who enjoys watching it, uh, there's a little bit of how are they going to get themselves out of this one that makes it sing too. I think. Yeah, exactly. And and, when I, and a lot of like being an improv comic is like selling the idea that you can get out of it and then failing, right? Uh-huh. So like you, yeah. you know, that's how you get the waves of laughter is you keep kind of poking towards resolution and then ripping it away from the audiences uh, in one way or another. Yeah, I don't know if people have have really thought about the idea that perfect a perfect improv in in some sense yeah uh, would f- would not be enjoyable like if someone just got up and told a a well-told story from beginning to end that's that's not very funny is it no no as a matter of fact when i would uh the first exercise i would do when i taught classes in new york um was i would make everyone get up and tell the story of their first kiss mm-hmm. um and because everyone's first kiss is awkward everyone's first kiss is like a a wealth of emotion and expectations and and lack of uh, experience and practice and everything else. And so what happens is everyone tells a charming story. Everyone tells a charming story where everyone laughs. And so I always say, before we get into technique, before we get into, you know, how we're going to co-create scene work with each other, like just know that you are a likable, funny person, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because that, that I found that to be like a great icebreaker. Oh yeah, that have you ever had someone stand up and go, I've never kissed anyone. I'm sorry, I can't tell the story. I uh I always say uh by your own definition. So it could be the first uh-huh. time you held hands, you know, it could okay. be the first time yeah, you did yeah, whatever. Yeah. And that that let, let me get out of it. However, I used to teach at the New York Film Academy, uh and you got people from all different countries and countries that saw war and things like that. So once in a while you did get a dramatic first kiss story. Mm. Um, you know, uh, and so for those, I would just, you know, say, thank you for taking a risk in our classroom. Thank you for being vulnerable to take that risk, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and just, you know, appreciate that, that they actually want to share that with us. Yeah. The idea of improvisation is, is interesting too, because it's what we're all doing every day. You know, you don't script out your you know, relationship with the yeah. grocery store clerk or or the friend you meet on the street or anything. Well, the lie that we tell ourselves is you take improv classes because you want to get back into that childlike state of play where you used to just let your imagination run wild. But now I have two children and I listen to them play with their friends and they're terrible at it. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why we, we sell it's that. Childlike. Yeah. <laughs> But, but that is the exactly. truth. I mean, the, the, but you you are talking about like improv theaters are open uh, in every state of the of our of our nation, right? And they mm. and a lot of them are still thriving even post pandemic, and a lot of them are still thriving uh, for all these years. And it's not because uh, they all mint people that get on the Senate Live every year. Um, sure, it is a social deal. Um, so, uh, I think it does make you a better listener, a better storyteller. So you say that we all improv through life. I think it does make you better at improving your way through life. A lot of times, like giving people the authority to identify that they're having an awkward conversation and that they have every right to change the subject and everyone in the room will be relieved. That's a big performance note, but that's a yeah. big life note as well. You know? Yeah. So the the freedom to not get stuck in conversations you don't want to have is a huge freedom. And that does come from improv training for me. There are definitely things you can do in on stage that you 
probably don't think you can do in real life. Uh, do do you have examples where you, <laughs> you, you took that uh, you took that lesson into the into the real world? I will just tell you that awkwardly that like you know there are always times where you people are in a bad situation and they say, "Oh, I wish I would have said this," or "I wish I would have mm-hmm. said that." And I've had situations where I did say that, and I did do that, <laughs> and it does not. It's not better. It's you. You rather walk away with regret than saying horrible things to people or really insulting someone on the spot. When <laughs> it's, it's just awkward. It's really awkward. Are they? Are, are all your examples ones that you would would rather not not relive? I'm guessing. Or I remember like a guy was like. Uh, you know, there's a big boxing match letting out and I was walking through a casino and a bunch of people and I was trying to get away, go to a show and we bumped shoulders and he sure. was like, oh, you tough. And I go, are you serious right now? You're the guy who literally got out of a boxing match, bumped shoulders and you're going to start a fight with someone because you just got out of a fight because you watch two guys who can actually fight, fight, get over yourself. And it was like really awkward. It was just so, it did not yeah, feel good. It, it sounds felt- great, actually, right? It's a story. <laughs> it's like, oh man, that's awesome. I wish I'd have been Matt Donnelly in that moment. But no. you don't wish you had been Matt Donnelly in that I'd moment. Say, I'd say like one time, like uh, the example that comes to mind uh, was like, I remember I was I was trying to, um, I was I had this job where I was working for Guinness World Records Gone Wild was a show on True TV for a minute. Wow, nice. <laughs> and I was doing the thing that people do out here where where you lie that you live in LA when you live in Las Vegas. And so I was commuting um on the weekends uh back home and and so I was driving in the middle of the night and flying through the desert. Like mm. flying through or whatever. And uh I came zooming up over a hill and on a downhill and on the downhill, I passed right by a police officer, highway patrolman and, uh, and slammed my brakes and looked down, slamming my brakes post slam. I was going a hundred miles an hour. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the lights come on and he, of course. and he, you know, pulls me right over and he has got a head of steam in him. And he says, uh, he goes, he goes, uh, do you know how fast you were going? And I didn't want to admit that I was must have been over 100 miles an hour. So I just said, fast. <laughs> and he goes, any reason for you to be going that fast on the highway in the middle of the night? And I said, honestly, officer, is there a good reason for anyone to be traveling at the speed I was going? And he was so uh, disarmed and frustrated. I thought I was doing a good thing, but he still gave me every ticket. Like he, oh, he just, I just skipped yeah. the berating. I disarmed the berating. <laughs> but <he> still, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and so it didn't do you any good. No, uh, in the end, in the end result, but it may have yeah. sped up the process. <laughs> yeah, I might have saved us both twenty minutes. Yeah, <laughs> may, may you think you would have been a little more thankful for that? <laughs> <laughs> Or, or I don't know. Maybe the, maybe that was his his fun, and you cheated him of his fun. <laughs> That's I might have deprived him of his anger dopamine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I definitely did that to a bicyclist once. Uh, I was I was I was driving in San Francisco. A very strong bike culture. I also was a bicyclist, yeah. and uh, I was turning uh, and started to turn, and someone was in one of those bike lanes going straight. Uh, and, and didn't wait for me to turn. Right. Uh, yes. and then really angry at me. Uh, my window was down cause it was hot that day. Uh, and was like, you need to watch. And I said, uh, yes, you're absolutely right. 
<laughs> and they were just so angry. They were like, fuck you. And they yeah, just yeah. took off. <laughs> they don't know what to do. I've, I've definitely done You can't deprive people of their outrage. That's, that's, that's a good one. Uh, I had the Dude. same. Uh, I had the, sorry, I had the same exact scenario happen with a bicyclist, uh, a, a cyclist, and I was with a friend. I was in the passenger seat, and uh, and and again, he started screaming at us, and we screamed back, or whatever. And then he looked at us and he called us um, uh, the f word, gay slur, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and I was like, "Why is that okay?" <laughs> <laughs> And and the cyclist felt authentic guilt. Really? Literally, literally oh, was like, wow. oh, I shouldn't have. You're right. We shouldn't. I was in Northern oh. California. I think they were more sensitive <laughs> up there. And yeah. uh, and they literally were like, you're right. I shouldn't be calling people that as an insult. <laughs> and then you both went out and got beers together. And, and now, now he's your comedy partner. That's, um, that's great. No, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it's how do you have that presence of mind in those situations, though? Because that that is the kind of thing that makes good improv, right? Is that's is, it? It, it is things come to you. It is years of of you want to counter, you want to surprise, you want to go to the offbeat, right? So it's years of like this is the typical response. You, your brain is always saying, you know, especially in improv, right? So so when you play games like music games or things like that, you want to. If you're going to make the obvious joke, you want to make it fast. You want to make it as fast as it's coming to the audience's mind. So if you if you if you can beat them to the punch to the most obvious joke, you still get points and they still laugh. If you save that for your second joke, they groan because mm-hmm. they saw it coming or whatever. Right, right. And so surprise you, is a big element of comedy. So you want to totally, yeah, yeah. And so if you feel like they are expecting it, you can counter the other way. Then you're so you have a lifetime. I have a lifetime. Of a, of a brain of like, how do I go to the other way? So I don't know why in that moment I'm in, I'm in an insult battle. And I, I but, but, but I was authentically struck when he called us that because I thought, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, what's, yeah. what's wrong with being a gay couple if we were and we weren't, but yeah. you know, it, it, there'd be nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Right. Um, but if you can surprise people by going like, oh, come on, that, you know, that's, that's really what that, that's really what it's all about. So yeah, because I do solo comedy magic as well, and uh, the same thing. When I'm interacting with the audience, I want to find a way to make something happen that's so distinct in the room uh, that night that they know that only happened that night. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Do you think it's something that you can learn or is it just something you hone? Right? Is is there are there there are people whose brains just are are predisposed to to that kind of of talent uh and they can get better at it uh or is it something anybody like oh do you know do these five things and you can you can pick up that trick? I think uh I get this I've gotten this question before and it's always a little complicated. I think that one you can always the honing is a great way to no i've never heard that before and that's a great way to phrase it honing is a is like yes i was a wise ass in 
school. I got kicked out of class all the time for making jokes. Uh, and so when I found improv, it was like, uh, uh, you know, a heavenly light beacon went off. Yeah. yeah. This you, is you where I belong. The thing you were getting kicked out of class. For. Yeah. And then it made me much better in class. It made me a better student. I ended up becoming <laughs> president of my class and president of my school. Oh, so wow. no I really, yeah. So I really, yeah. I really, I really just turned it around. Um, because it also gave me a lot of self esteem and everything else. Right. And I think like, you know, to, to, to go for a moment to like a nerdier answer, you know, there's this guy, Paul Sills, who started Second City, originally was the Compass in Second City, and that's kind of the modern improv that we understand today. We're not going back to ancient Commedia dell'arte in Italy or anything like that. Um, his mother wrote uh, the book on improvisation, literally the book of improvisation. And when she did it, she was just a theater director and a theater teacher. And during the post-depression WPA works programs for artists, she went into work camps to teach improv to teens and adults to help build uh, self-esteem and to help mm-hmm. co-create. And it was, it was a not, it was a, it was a, you know, uh, a service. It wasn't meant to be, Hey, we're going to get on stage. It was her son who decided, you know, this stuff on stage would be funny. Yeah. Um, and so on a primary level, I think it does just make things better. Like I think comedy is in all of us. And so anytime we're honing our communication skills, it is going to make us funnier. I think for it to be like a performance thing, I think you have to have a certain self awareness. Hmm. Like if you tell a joke and it bombs and you know, it bombs, then you can get funnier. Right. But we all know people who tell a joke at bombs and they go, oh, come on, that's funny. <laughs> the audience is wrong. Yeah. Uh, they're going to have a harder time. You yeah, know, yeah. I used to I, I tell, tell this, uh, this thing where I say, if you're sitting in a diner, you know, and one person's talking about, you know, getting, um, gathering, you know, uh, uh, resources and people to go to some hurricane ravaged nation and see if they can, reestablish some infrastructure there and then and on the other uh, table to your to your other side s- someone's uh, getting caught uh cheating on their on their wife and the wife is laying out the details of how she knows he might be cheating which conversation do you think you'll eavesdrop on mm-hmm. you know and i always say if you're worried about that hurricane ravaged country you're gonna have a harder time being a comedian mm-hmm. you know most people they go for the emotion the guilty pleasure emotion and so yeah yeah and I feel like if you're in touch with that, if you're in touch with that connection you have with the audience, the, their emotion, you can be, you can get a lot funnier uh, than you are now. There's a, there's a certain amount of empathy. It sounds like is what you're describing. Yeah, I think you have to be. There has to be something kind of universal, you know, uh, about what you're relating to. And then you know, uh, John Cleese always had like a metaphor about like. Uh, making a sharp turn versus a wide turn. Like if you, if you turn too quickly, the audience just blows right past you. Mm -hmm. And if you turn too late, they saw it coming and they, and they don't, they don't care for it. So you're always trying to make this, this turn, this move at some point where you have a sense of the audience's collective experience in your head. Yeah. So you don't lose them, but, but you still surprise them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a kind of empathy. We, we often use empathy to mean, you know, being, being compassionate, uh, but empathy doesn't have to be. It's a kind of empathy that can be used against your audience for their entertainment, of course. Oh, of course. No, another thing about it is about, is, is the co-creation element, right? Like mm-hmm. the idea of what, what you want to do in improv, whether you're, you are a musician or, or a comedian is you want to do it with a group. You want to do it with a, with a crew. You know, you want to achieve as a team. 
and that involves just a whole different language. Um, and so that part uh, yeah, is yeah. the part that I think is the, I think it's the most like overlooked aspect of it. Cause everyone always thinks about, I will take an improv class or can you teach me improv? And the whole idea that you're actually looking for is like another artist who mm-hmm. shares a certain amount of sensibilities, but also challenges a certain amount of sensibilities so that you create different stuff, you know? Yeah. And there's an empathy between the two of you of a sort, right? Where you, you, you know what that person's strengths is and where they're go- going to go and you can, yeah. you can help each other along the way. Like my, my comedy partner that I do ice cream social with Paul Mattingly, like it was like really strange and magical because I, I was in two improv groups in New York where we were, uh, we were together forever. A lot of them were like, in, you know, we're in, we're in each other's weddings, that kind of stuff. But I moved to Las Vegas because my wife booked Jersey Boys. And so we live in Las Vegas now. And this guy, Paul, called me up because we uh, I tried to get a commercial agent. So that commercial agent put us together. He called me up and said, we're doing an improv show. Come on by. I went out that night uh, to this little tiny theater. Uh, and actually in the back of a <laughs> in the back of a, a sex shop in Las Vegas where they sold different uh, delightful toys for it's Las Vegas what for exploratory you? people exactly it was like a perfect Probably introduction not that surprising really no no not at all and we did a couple of scenes together at the end of the night and like they had like a jam and then we did a couple of scenes together and people came up to us that night and were like how long have you guys been performing together <laughs> and wow. and so we we literally, you know, fell in artistic love with each other. You know, we, we started performing that night and, and, and every time we could since, and then eventually started doing a two person show on mm-hmm. our own. It and was love at first. Yes. And it really was. <laughs> it really was. And he has a totally different sensibilities of both life and a totally different sensibilities from where he trained. Like we have totally different improv uh-huh. training backgrounds and totally different kind of like artistic backgrounds. And, and it's because we both have been performing for so long. We both saw guys who do something very different, but make bold choices. And we just liked the challenge of working with each other so, so much that we've been at it ever since. It, it's, it's, it seems like you need to have partners that are different. Uh, if you're all the same, that's not going to work. Right. What are, what are the things you think need to be the same? Oh, I think, I think you need to have a sense of, I think you need to have a, a, a you need to agree on there's kind of a balance in improv of, of how much theatrical how theatrically sound do you want the pieces you create to be uh and how funny they are and so I think we both agree to kind of start slow and grounded and then ramp mm-hmm. up you know that kind of thing so like we both tempo. agree on sharing that sensibility um for an audience I think um and yeah, I, I yeah, I just think you. It's, I don't know if there's a way to totally put all the words on it, but I think you just have yeah, to kind of yeah. get a sense that you enjoy the work that you create with each other, and the audience does too. Mm-hmm. Or you could have two people who don't care what the audience thinks, right? And then that's also fine, and that could be good. Yeah, but, I, uh, I was fascinated by what you were saying earlier about uh, it, it having its roots in education, because I think a lot of people uh, understandably think, "Oh, improv—that's that's people who want to get up on stage, you know, and and, and entertain people." Yeah. Uh, but it, it it's interesting to think of its roots as being just self improvement. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, when I've, I've taught like, you know, and, and corporations and, 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 and done those more kind of big corporate gigs. And one of the things that comes up when you talk about improv is you, you know, you can bring up the armed forces, right? And how mm-hmm. when you go out into battle, you are, you, you have your training, but then you are definitely improvising together, right? Right. Uh, and even in that, 
they're actually taught uh, in the military to not say the word but mm-hmm. in conversation because it confuses and muddies things. So they actually have a yes and kind of conversation happening uh, with the way you communicate on the, the battlefield. So, you know, in high stakes situations, it, it, it's about function. It's, a, it's about finding a way to function together for sure. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's a valuable skill applicable in, in lots of other, other arenas. I, I know that, you know, you could do a whole course and you do have done a whole course, uh, on improv. Uh, I imagine there's people listening who, who want a couple of tips. So if, if you'll, if you'll suffer them, uh, you know, for maybe even what don't do what what not to do if you're if you're trying to do improv well I'll, yeah i'll say like i actually always encourage people like when when if your town or somewhere near your town has an improv class to offer i always say go ahead and take it because everyone is taking the same risk so you think you're the new person and you're going to walk into a bunch of you know people who have been doing it forever they don't take level one people mm-hmm. have been doing it forever so you you are going to meet a bunch of people from different walks of life all taking the same risk and that creates a really cool experience it's a great way if you move from town to town i feel like a, like taking improv class is a good way to like find people in town um but uh so when you take a class most people when they put on the spot they think they have to be interesting you know and so they usually say something perverted or something mm-hmm. uh um uh dangerous like they're going to murder or kill Kind mm-hmm. of thing or whatever. And because those things put tension in the room. So I would just say, remember that laughter is a reaction to tension, but uh, how you handle things creates a, a lot more tension than you think it does. So a lot of times just simply behaving and being someone uh, can, can, can create a whole bunch of tension and you, you let that come to you. Um, you will not accidentally do um, improv drama. You won't accidentally accomplish a Hamlet scene or a Shakespeare scene, something will go wrong. Mm -hmm. So it's about trusting that that moment's going to come and to be, to play with it in the moment, you know? Um, so I would say bold, simple, playful, try to make a bold choice, keep it nice and simple and then be very playful with it is, is always my goal when I hit the stage. Yeah. Don't threaten to murder the audience just to get a reaction. No, I think, you know, it's always like, I always say, go for the most personal conversation you can think of having, right? Like, dad, I don't want to go to college, you know, uh-huh. will yeah. you marry me? Uh, those mm-hmm. things, like, go to those. If you have a moment, that's what that's what will always surprise an audience. They know that you're going to do something funny. So if you start somewhere meaningful, that's the first surprise you're going to give the audience. It's like, oh, they're going to do something deeper here. And once you have a deep moment, there's a thousand ways to make it go wrong. There's a thousand ways to make it funny. So I always say just go go for a real moment first and then it's just the comedy becomes much easier. What are those ways of going wrong? I think uh, – so I teach a technique called bull matador because I was so uh, struck by the notion that we make improv training this individual thing when it's about co-creation. And so um, bull matador is that like you got to have both in a scene, Right. So if you have two guys who really want to be funny and they just come mm-hmm. out, they're both trying to play the quirkiest characters or whatever. You can do things where like, hey, I'm home. I killed the baby. And you're like, oh, funny. I'm making a baby soup. Now <laughs> you've established a world where killing babies is A-OK. So right. where the heck is the tension going to come from? Mm-hmm. Like, if that's OK, then what isn't OK? Like, how are you going to create tension? You know? And sure, there's some comedic genius answer for that in the moment, maybe. But for the mm-hmm. most part, that's a hard time for everyone in the room, you know. And so you have two, you have bull, bull, 
no one's being struck by any of the information. That's that's always a big thing for me as both uh, an improviser and uh, and a solo comedy magician. If you can if you can be struck by the information you're receiving, then that creates a huge interest in the audience. And so you always yeah. want to be struck by by people. So, and then if you have two people who are very patient actors who are just willing to just like do a scene of like two guys sitting on a porch talking about nothing. You have two matadors there. Nobody's no. There's no no. Nothing's coming towards each other. Right? Yeah, and you so, don't you don't make any progress then. Yeah. So I said it earlier, but you want something like awkward, inappropriate, unfortunate to happen to someone, and that person must suffer the company they have in the scene. And so uh, you figure out whether you are the causing of suffering or the sufferer, and uh, and you and you kind of counter back and forth. And can that. that can that switch during during the course of things too? Yes. Uh, typically, if someone divulges or confesses something mm-hmm. if someone someone divulges or confesses what they really feel about something or they or seem apologetic then they have to become the uh, sufferer and the other person yeah, yeah. must amplify something that caused the suffering G- going back to what you were saying at the very beginning about uh, jazz which I, I think is a great example of of improvisation that people don't think about we always think about comedy I, i'm trying to rack my brain for other examples of that do you do you can you think of other examples that aren't comedy or jazz where improvisation is central to what's being done? I mean, only out of ignorance. I I don't know if I can. Those are yeah, just the two examples so, I go to. I I think there's it's, it's, there's very few. After that, I'm trying to think of like group art, right? Like I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of other examples where the I guess you're, performance art. Yeah, some perfor- some kinds of performance art. Right. I'm trying to think of like we don't ever because also you're in on the process, right? So when when you you don't often watch the process of a painter or or watch mm-hmm. and then and Bob Ross didn't have someone come in and also be like well I'm going to put a tree over here too <laughs> right you know I can't think of examples of of, of co creation of physical yeah. art um, but it, yeah it does seem like a, a fairly unique skill like an, a a skill but but something that that isn't and maybe should be used in more places I don't know I don't know if I want to use it, it used in law enforcement necessarily but there might be other places where it would be good no I mean I remember it was like an older comedian was like complaining like about how like improv had taken over the comedy world uh-huh. and he was like and now writers rooms are nice and like and then when you go and like even when you go on talk shows and stuff it's not this ruthless environment that it once was in the mm-hmm. old days of of like Carson and and early Letterman and I those guess, kinds of things. I mean talk shows are pretty planned but there's some room for improvisation and that sort of thing too. You're going to find a lot of people with improv backgrounds behind yeah uh talk talk shows and sitcoms and then and then in those and, and then the technique does work with mm-hmm. uh with with that uh as well. Um and and oh, I guess we are leaving out sports as your. Uh, oh sure, no, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sports yeah. definitely works. I mean, that's def- the definition of having a game plan, but having to react to so mm-hmm. many factors that it becomes a loose plan and not a not a not a big plan. Yeah, I mean, I immediately my mind goes to baseball because I'm a big baseball fan. But you know, the the guy that steals the base without the sign and you know puts the team in position to win the game, improv that, right? Right. Or or you lay you lay your pitching lineup right. So this, these, yeah. this is the order which the relievers are going to come in, and one guy gets yep. shelled, and suddenly that order has to go out the window. Right? Tear up the plan. Yeah. Or or you went into you know extra innings the night before, uh-huh. and, and you can't you can't do that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, but man, this was really fun uh, chatting with you about this. Uh, and uh, we always finish these episodes with a little game uh, okay. called This or That, where I will just present two options and you tell me which you would pick and why. Okay, great. 
Uh, the first one, Stalin or Genghis Khan? Just any arbitrarily? Just anything yeah. we're into? Yeah, for any reason. Genghis Khan, because of the gene pool. Not only did he affect mm. actual conquering, but he, he actually, I think there's an, a crazy amount of people still related to Genghis Khan. Right, right. Day. Like most people on earth are related to Genghis Khan. Somehow. Yeah, yeah. Stalin, yeah. Stalin did not do that. Yeah. And and Genghis Khan, I mean, it's unfair because of time, but Genghis Khan has a longer legacy. Right. You know, Stalin's, Stalin's too recent. He's, he's just an up and cover. <laughs> uh, arms or tentacles? Oh, tentacles. Have you ever seen the footage of the, uh, of the octopus opening up a jar from the inside that he's inside yeah. a jar? Oh, that's just, and the, the, that's just, there's just so much more to do. So much yeah. more to take care of. Even if you only have two tentacles. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, if we, if we replace our arms with tentacles, a couple of awkward weeks, and then I think no regrets after that. Yeah, it just becomes normal, and everybody yeah. loves it. And people yeah. with arms, you know, they looked on with sympathy. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm sorry you couldn't afford a tentacle upgrade. They're like, yeah, you also opened the jar of pasta sauce. Good job, buddy. <laughs> uh, fast or slow zombies? Oh, s- slow zombies. I'm slow. Uh, uh-huh. I need time to think. I, I, I'm not a naturally violent person, so I got to really, I, I have to really have to gather my muster. I'll take slow <laughs> zombies any day. This has become a, a litmus test for personality. Uh, I've found <laughs> is is that the people who say fast zombies are like, oh, they're more exciting, right? They're they're yeah, about yeah. like what's going to entertain me. The people who say slow zombies, like yourself, are thinking more practically. Like, no, I want to be able to get away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I will if they're fast zombies i will enjoy my first fast zombie and that's about it right right Th- then i am a fast zombie <laughs> uh savory or dessert crepes oh you know all the way up until you said the word crepes i was saying savory mm-hmm. and then you said the word crepe and i'm i there's i mean it's so standard but i don't think there's anything better than a nutella banana crepe mm, so good and you might be surprised to learn you're in the minority of the people I've talked to. Oh, that's, I think people are trying to impress you. I think they want to sound interesting. Maybe. I, I, I'm a little suspicious <laughs> about the number of people who've said savory. Because I want to take, I, I'm going to take all those people out to a crepe shop. <laughs> They're always like, oh yeah, the, you know, the basil and butter. And I'm like, really? Stop not, it. not banana, not Nutella. I mean, I should have just brought up Nutella every time. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, cause yeah, to me, it felt like, oh, it's, everybody's going to say dessert. It'll be interesting to see the people who say savory, no. uh, open mic or karaoke. Oof. Uh, karaoke, the highs and lows are just, uh, shallower mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. open mic. The highs are very high at an open mic, but the lows are very <laughs> low at an open mic. Yeah. You, know? you like the more limited boundary of karaoke. Yeah, yeah. Also, like a, 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 most songs of karaoke are not five minutes, and every set <laughs> at open mic is five minutes. Yeah, at least. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about that. Like yeah, five yeah. minutes is an eternity, and karaoke is always three, three, three thirty. Right. Early on in karaoke, I chose a song longer than five minutes, and I was like, "What am I doing?" And I now <laughs> always look at the time of the song before I choose yeah. it to make sure. Bohemian Rhapsody, in yes. a Feel it. Don't yeah. <laughs> Pump up the jam. It's surprisingly longer. <laughs> Really? I think I it is. Yeah. Uh, dogs or cats? I have cats, but I didn't choose to have cats. Uh, we inherited <laughs> cats. Ah, I see. Through a death in the family. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, 
it's fine. We're talking about cats and dogs still. Um, so I have cats, and cats are fascinating. Mm-hmm. I used to always joke that like if 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 a guy was having girl trouble, and forgive me for being binary about it, but if a guy's having girl trouble, he should get cats because cats really teach you about the random times mm-hmm. that it's on and it's off, and you just yeah. and when you enter a flow state of whenever it's on, it's off, you're much better at dealing with the social situations. And I always say uh, women should get dogs. Because when you just <laughs> a dog just wants to be so happy, will get angry in a second, is super loyal, <laughs> wants to be occupied, gets easily sad when you uh-huh, walk away, uh-huh. like just dealing yeah. with like that, that that nature. I mean, you've got the makings of a self help <laughs> instead of uh, Venus and Mars. It's just cats yeah, and dogs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. um, but. Uh, but I, I have made a promise to my children. You know, I, I work around the country. As soon as I can work in Vegas, that I say we will get a dog. I think I still like dogs. Yeah, I just yeah, haven't I, gotten I, one in a while because of my because of my wife and I are both in show business and we have to mm-hmm. leave all the time. Yeah. And the the cats are more useful around the house on their own than the dogs. Yes, they they really. I always say like I don't have cats. We I cohabitate a place with yeah, cats. Yeah. They look at me like a pet as well. Like they're like, we're here, you're here. They seem to look at me like we're on equal footing. You can't spell cohabitate or fascinate without cat. <laughs> True. It's a fact, folks. Take that. Uh, take that, dogs. <laughs> can't spell God without dogs, says the dog right now. Uh, <laughs> beef or chicken? Uh, I'm a beef guy. I mean, I try not to have as much of it as I used to, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. but but in terms of like treating yourself, although yeah, I do. I've had some good chicken as well. I feel, I feel like I I choose chicken because I feel like I should, you know, less fat, less cholesterol, all that. Yeah, but I'm probably with you if if I'm not worried about that beef. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, last one: hot or cold. Hot. You're a Vegas person. That's- yes, I live in Las Vegas, and uh, I, 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 my body knows how to deal with being hot better than it does know how to deal with being cold. That's a better way of answering that. A, a lot of people are like, oh, if you're hot, you can't cool down, or if you're cold, you can't heat up. But it's just what your body can deal with better. I'm a hot person too. Yeah, yeah. I originally, my wife, we moved to Las Vegas. It's a good thing because when, when when we were dating in New York and New Jersey, she'd come out to my house in New Jersey. We were just dating, and um, uh, she would always have to put on the space heater uh, at like any temperature. But if but if it ran too long, it would trip the breaker. Oh, and no. So in the middle of the night, our entire house would become frigid cold. And I was yeah. like, I, I was like, I have to stop. Like we're gonna break up if I if I don't stop I, we just have to stop meeting here <laughs> it's, 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 it was too high stakes her cold yeah, was no, was not thing. happy at all and i yeah, was like yeah, this yeah. is this my wife is definitely a hot person which also is maybe why i'm a hot person yeah it makes it easier you know yeah to, yeah. to cohabitate with the cats um <laughs> God's well, well. Matt, Natalie, thank you so much uh for for sitting down and chatting with me uh it was fun to to just go in it cold uh with the word and if folks yeah. want to find ice cream social anything that you do where should they go uh they should go to hayscoops.com or look for ice cream social on any podcast player um and just know that 
uh, Tom said a ner- uh, a word that made me nerd out immediately. Like Tom, Tom said a word that I've dedicated decades of my life to teaching. Um, we're much more irreverent and silly on our. On our <laughs> that's on true. Our that's true. I hope they don't podcast. go like, oh, I'm going to get a, a, a sober class in improvisation yeah. by listening to these people. Uh, we do get yeah, you're have a lot yeah. of fun. I, yeah. I'll back you on that. Yeah. 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 So, but uh, uh, this was a blast. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Uh, also, thanks to our producer, Anthony Lamos. Thank you for listening to this show and telling your friends about it. You can get an ad-free version of this show with Acast Plus. Click on access exclusive content at awordpodcast.com and we'll have a word with you next time. The DTNS family of podcasts, helping each other understand. <laughs>